And look who's coming up. There we go. Uh, oh, Derek, thank you so much uh, for joining me on the program. I know uh, it's crazy busy time for you because you're getting set to fly uh, over uh, across the pond. So thank you so much for squeezing in some time with us, and we'll get to the footy in a second. But first of all, the, the McKinnon contract, surprised at 12.6, doubles what he was making before. I thought maybe he'd come in around 11, but there's no doubt this is one of the best players in the league and was criminally underpaid before. Yeah, I, I think you you have to kind of pay him for what he's worth, and I think it's it's only fair it's fair value. He may be the the second best player in the league. Maybe you know he's up there with he's up there with one, two, or three. He's up there. He's a Stanley Cup champion, um, and, and I guess I think he's full value for that contract. You're right. He probably was making a little more, but then you look at the fact that he won the Stanley Cup before his team. Uh, he's he's the heart and soul of that club. He's going to be there for a long, long time, and I, I think they just looked at the market and said. Well, we think he's just as good as Connor McDavid. He's got a he's got a Stanley Cup, and Connor McDavid doesn't. So we're gonna pay him that kind of money. Um, and I think I, I think for what he's done already, I think he's he's well worth it. Because you're right, considering he was probably underpaid uh, with his first deal. So I think uh, I, I'm not surprised at all with with that with that kind of money. I mean, the Avalanche getting having uh, McKinnon at six point three and and McCarr before his other deal kicked in. You know, when you look around at some of the, you know, I'm, I'm sure the Edmonton Oilers aren't as excited about the Darnell Nurse contract when you compare it to the Kale McCarr contract. But the Oilers should be extremely happy with what they're getting for the for for Drysaddle. I mean, when you look at the McKinnon contract, that Drysaddle contract might be one of the best up there with McCarr for value for what they're getting. Only for a few more years, but it sure makes that contract look great now. It does. And at the time, remember when Dreisaitl signed it, a lot of people said, what are you guys yeah. doing? Why are you guys paying him that kind of money? Like, he hasn't, he hasn't really done anything. And I think, uh, you know, he came in and they said, hey, five for Dreisaitl? That's, that's, that's just way too much. And now you look at that contract and you're like, is probably worth 10 or $11 million. But, um, you know, of course, in, in today's world, you can't, you can't really afford to pay two guys that kind of money. So I think it's going to be interesting to see. When, you're, when you have superstars like this and they're getting up to the 10, 11, 12 million dollar range, that window is really short because you, you don't have a lot, a lot of space to kind of fill them out. So I think guys, guys kind of realize that. So I think they're looking at that in Colorado and saying, okay, we have our window. We're in our window now. Mm-hmm. Can we win two or three or maybe four with Stanley Cups? And the owners are kind of looking at that right now. And they're in a situation where, okay, we're in our window now. This is our window. We're going to have to make some hay here in the next couple of years. Right now, the window uh, is for PTOs. I mean, we see this every year, you know, lots of teams from, and, and I don't blame them, you know, bring more guys into camp. You have more guys to send out to some of those road games in the preseason and things like that. Um, but realistically, I think the percentage is probably overall pretty low. Like, I, I look at guys like Alec Chason. He he's always seems to go to on a PTO and then get a contract for a couple of years. I don't know if it's going to happen now. Uh, the Oilers have a couple of those guys, and every team seems to do it. So I don't know how many of them actually work out, but I think it's a good risk for teams to take, if it is, is even a risk. I, I, oh, it is. It is for sure. And I think you hit the nail on the head there, Dean, where it comes to some of these guys don't want to play exhibition games anymore. Some of these guys don't want to travel in the exhibition season. And, and you're looking at the teams that they'll send to, to Vancouver and, and Calgary and Seattle and Winnipeg, and I, I guarantee you they're not going to be your grade eight stars. If you're going to play those guys, those guys want to play four or eight playoff uh, preseason games, you're going to want to play them at home where your fans can come see them and your fans can come and rally them. You're not going to 
play him on the road with other teams fans can see him. So I think that's one reason for you bring some guys from PTOs in, let them give him an opportunity to play. Uh, and you never know, they could surprise you. I, obviously, it's most the owners are kind of looking for some depth, both on the blue line and up front, and they bring in these two guys and they say, okay, maybe they can provide a step. Maybe we can get them at a, at a pretty good rate. Or maybe we just need more bodies to, to play some of these exhibition games because they start playing right away and it's eight exhibition games. And it's kind of becoming like the NFL, the NHL, is where the NFL guys don't want to play in any exhibition games. They don't want to bother. They don't they, they just don't feel they need them. I think a lot of NHL guys, you ask McDavid and Dreisaitl, how many games do you think you need to get up to speed? They'll say three or four at the max, and it's eight games. So you need guys to play those other games. Yeah, those were the worst. And, you know, I remember what it was like trying to cover them on the post-game show. I know what it's like for you guys, those split squad games. And yeah. it's just it's just way too much. Like, you could easily get down to five or four, like you said. But, you know, there are, it's, it's important for some guys, but it's like the NFL preseason. You barely see guys until, until late uh, in the preseason. And then you start looking at some fuller lineups. And, you know, people, it happens all the time. People get excited about the preseason. Remember, remember the time? Ratty preseasons we had here in yeah. Edmonton over the years. I mean, exactly. you know, they get excited about the preseason. They also get excited about the Young Stars tournaments that are going on. And, you know, people have to remember that guy looks good at the Young Stars tournament. That's one thing. Then he comes to training camp, the level is higher. Then exhibition games, it's even higher. Then you get, if you make the team, it's even higher. So it's a massive jump to go from the rookie tournament to the main roster, unless you're a guy like, you know, Philip Broberg. But guys like Broberg and Holloway for the Oilers certainly seem to stand out the most over the weekend. Yeah, they did, especially Holloway. Dylan Holloway, was he looked like he was playing at a level below him. So I think it's going to be interesting to see. What he's, he looks like he's, he's obviously a pro, and he's playing with first-year, second-year pros, guys that are trying to become and make it to that pro level. So he, he stood out uh, head and shoulders. I think the most exciting thing about Dylan Holloway was, was his shot. The fact that his wrist doesn't seem to be bothering him. He, he said he's not taping it up anymore. And I think that was the issue right now. He scored that really one nice uh, mm-hmm. goal where he kind of toe-dragged the puck and, and, and beat the goalie from a high slot. Uh, he's not afraid to take the puck to the net. Scored in a goal last night. Um, taking the puck on, on a shorthanded breakaway right to the net. So I think he was playing uh, a level above probably what he should. Like those guys were a level below him. It's going to be interesting to see now when he comes and he joins the pros what he does in the preseason. But I think there's lots to be excited about this guy. He's, he's obviously a great skater. He's got good size. And he's got a great shot. So uh, I think uh, there's an opportunity there for a young player to take a spot. A guy like Dylan Holloway, the opportunity is there. And it's just a matter of him trying to take advantage of it. But so far, so good. He looked really good at the, the Penticton rookie camp. Who do you think out of like a guy like Broberg or Holloway will be able to have more of an impact? I look at Broberg just because the the, the – top six is so crowded already with the Oilers where there seems to be a bit more of an opportunity on the blue line for a guy like Philip Roberg. Yeah, there is. But then there's the, you know, they always say that a defenseman takes about 200 games mm. to get comfortable in the NHL. So uh, he, you know, he still got a, has a ways to go and he's, and he's not as protected as maybe he would be maybe a forward be up front where he's not, there isn't as much pressure on him. I think Broberg is going to see a lot of ice time. They want him to be, eventually a top four guy so I think they, they're going to try and develop him into being a top four guy we've seen his offensive ability he's got great offensive instincts great offensive skills uh, and he said himself it's my defensive game that has to improve he bulked up a little this year he, he put on he said 12 pounds which is a lot of muscle to put on over an offseason he's bulked up a little but he knows that 
in order to stay in the NHL, he's going to be has to be responsible in his own end, and then the offensive chances will come. So I think you're right. I think you'll get a chance to make an impact, but I think it'll be he has to kind of learn his defensive side first. When it comes to a guy like Dylan Holloway, he's going to get spot duty as well. They're not going to expect Dylan Holloway to come in here and get 40 points for you, but he's going to get some spot duty. He's going to get an opportunity, and it's up to him whether how much more opportunity he gets. It's up to him to kind of develop and grow through that. So it's going to be interesting to see how both of these kids develop. Uh, they're obviously the the top two prospects the Oilers have right now. All right, so you're getting set to uh, take off uh, and head over to Vienna, which is sounds pretty awesome. I mean, you could be going to Winnipeg or, you know, Minnesota for some of those road games, but you get to go to Vienna, so that's awesome, and you're going to do a terrific job covering Canada. A couple of friendlies. What are some of the things that you would like to see from this Canadian team as we get closer to November? What are you looking to see in these two friendlies uh, when you're over there? Well, they're going to play the two best teams that they've played so far, uh, maybe not counting the Mexico and the United States, the two best teams out of CONCACAF that they've faced so far. Uh, Qatar is a World Cup qualifier. They're the host. They're going to play in, in the World Cup. And they've had four years to kind of practice and play together. And so they're more of a club team than they are a national team. A national team, what happens is you get your guys, you gather them together for a week, and then you say, okay, let's go out and play. And that's exactly what's going to happen at the World Cup because it's happening mid-season some of those, for most of those European leagues. Basically, the guys are going to gather for 10 days, practice, have maybe an exhibition game, then go out and play in the biggest tournament in the world. I think this, these two exhibition games are crucial for Canada to see kind of where they stand. They're probably the best team in CONCACAF, but where do they stand against a top-quality opponent like Qatar that's been practicing all... all they're, they're built to kind of get out of the first round. And then you got Uruguay, who's one of the best teams in South America. They, they're up there with Brazil and Argentina. So that's going to be a real true test for Canada to see how they fare against a team like Uruguay. That's probably going to be their toughest test going in there. And then I think from there, John Herbin's going to get a good idea of what his team needs, what his team lacks, um, and, and what is good for his team, I think, where he, he has to fit pieces. And this is a, a very important camp for some of these players because these are the last two games before they announce the team going to Qatar. Mm -hmm. And Canada used about 30 players to qualify, but they can only take 26 to Qatar. So a lot is on the line for some of these guys on the fringe that, their, their dreams are playing in the World Cup, and, and now they have a couple of games to can really make a last impression on Coach uh, John Herdman to, to take him to Qatar in November. And and there it is going to be a different, you know, injuries come up. You know, obviously you want to get through these two games as healthy as possible, but injuries open up opportunities. This is going to be a little bit of a different lineup than we have seen from Canada in the past. Does that do you think that changes their style at all, or they're not two key uh, two key players missing? No, the, the, it, it does change their style a little. And I think the, the difference in this World Cup is that because players are still playing games before they go travel, they're playing high-level games. They're, it's right in midseason. That injury situation is always there. It's always looming. And you look at Canada's situation now, Tiba Hutchinson, their captain, is not going because he got injured in the preseason in Turkey. So they're hoping that he's good enough to, to recover to play in November. So I think... That's always going to happen. You're going to play these two games. You hope you get out of them injury-free. You never know. You hope you get out of them injury-free. But then you're sending players back to their club teams, and they're playing another four, five, six games before they have to go to Qatar for the World Cup. And you're praying. You're praying that Alfonso Davies doesn't get hurt. You're praying that some of those other top gun guys don't get hurt. And, and, and you're hoping that they're all healthy and ready to go in Qatar. And I think 
What's different about this tournament as past World Cup tournaments is that the players will be in mid-season form. It won't come at the end of a long European season where a lot of them don't have a lot left in the tank. They are going full bore. They are just getting into mid-season form, and I think that's what's going to make this World Cup a little unique and a bit more exciting. Well, this is something that's amazing. You know, for a lot of people, this is the first time they've ever seen Canada compete at a World Cup in in, in their lifetime. Uh, so this is something that is so cool and could turn Canadian in, Canadians into bigger soccer fans. Maybe the way, you know, the Raptors really, you know, wrapped everybody up in, in their run. And, and if people are going to get excited, tell us why they should be tuning in to watching Alfonso Davies. Obviously from Edmonton, where we know great superstars uh, can come from. What is so exciting about what makes him worth tuning in for? Well, this guy, is, he's, he's just such an exciting and dynamic player, and, and, he, and he's playing on the world stage. He's playing every week for Bayern Munich, who are one of the best teams in the world. He's playing in the Champions League. He's playing against teams like Barcelona. He's playing against uh, teams like Chelsea in the Champions League. He's playing against the top teams in Germany. So he's just getting better and better and better and better because he's among some of the most elite soccer players in the world. And he's so exciting, and he's so young, and I think Canada really has to build around him. And I think you're, you're seeing that. A lot of Alfonso Davies jerseys now the kids are wearing. And, and, and if he has a good performance at the World Cup, his, his star is just going to keep rising. He's already kind of a global star because of what he's done with Bayern Munich. But you really get to another level when you do it at the World Cup. Now, Canada, they competed at the World Cup in 1986. That was the only time they ever qualified. Mm-hmm. Didn't score a goal. Didn't win a game. We went home after three games. And I think we've talked to John Herdman about this. He's got a much better team now. They have a much better team now than they did back then. Back then, they were kind of a group of semi-professionals, maybe one or two guys playing in Europe. Now, most of the squad plays in Europe. A lot of them play in the MLS as well, which is improving year after year after year. So now, John Herdman's going to take it a step at a time. Let's score a goal. Let's worry about winning the game. Then we'll worry about getting out of the group. And it's going to be a tough chore for Canada because they're playing elite teams. Uh, so, But it's going to be really fun to watch. Just, it- just watching them compete on that stage. Yeah, like, I mean, anybody under 35 has never seen this. And, and even the people no. that were alive, it's 86, right? We remember what sports coverage was like in 86. So this is yeah. going to be literally, you know, I, I really hope the pubs are full and people get really, really excited and, and get footy fever with this. Now, lastly, and I, I hate to bring this up, but your Cowboys did win yesterday. Do you even watch yes. them anymore without Dak? Like, do you still, do you have, <laughs> do you have faith to still tune in and, and, and see? And, and, you know, what was it like yesterday to get that victory? It was, it was, it was, it was, it was good. Let's just say this: but Cooper Rush is not going to take over uh, Dax Prescott at any any moment soon. But he just has to get the job done. And I, I was, you know, I'm thinking about this, and it's it's tough when you lose your franchise quarterback in the opening week. But I'd rather lose him in the opening week and have a chance for him to come back in week five, week six, week seven, yeah. than to lose him late in the year and then the year is over for sure. Uh, I think the Cowboys just have to keep this thing on the rails. They just have to play 500 football until he gets back. And once he gets back, um, then they can kind of move forward from there. But I think the Cowboys have a bit more issues than they have in the past. Their offensive line is not as good as it was in the past. Defensively, they struggle to stop the run. uh, And there's a lot of deficiencies there that they're trying to work out. But I think they're looking at it, and I'm looking at it as a Cowboy fan, and just keep this off on the rails. Let's just keep play 500 football until Prescott comes back. Because they say five, six weeks. They're obviously going to try and get him back as soon as possible. It's, it's, a, it's a thumb injury on his throwing hand, so who knows how long that's going to take. you got to find their proper grip and things like that. So, But, uh, no, I'm watching him just saying, just stay on the rails. Just just don't don't get, don't get go 0-4, 0-5. Let's 
without Prescott in the lineup because then you're in trouble. Well, that, they've already uh, got over the first hurdle and getting a win without him. And, and I think Gallup comes back kind of around the same time. So you could have uh, some, some good options there. So, the, you know, you're right. If they stay 500, then you certainly have a chance uh, with that division. Hey, man, have a great trip. It's going to be so fun. I look forward to reading uh, your stuff, obviously, at Post Media and, and, you know, during the NHL season with NHL.com. So thanks so much for squeezing some time in for me today. And uh, have a good time overseas, man. Be safe. Sounds good, Dino. Thanks for having me on.